Welcome to the 2008 Jack Straw Writers Program. In this program, you'll hear from travel writer Jana Corse Essery, who took a two and a half year honeymoon around the world on a boat. Program curator Judith Roche sat down with Jana for an interview. I actually fell in love with sailing not by doing it, but from that old song by Crosby, Stills, and Nash uh, called Southern Cross. And it's about a guy who mends his broken heart while sailing to the South Pacific. And I heard that song in high school, and I got up my atlases, and I followed his route with all the little names of the, the towns, and my dad explained all the sailing terms to me, and that's really how I got turned on to sailing. You know, the sailing adventure, it's, it's something different. It's, uh, there are actually a lot of people out there doing it that a lot of people don't know about. It's a microcosm. There's a culture and a community surrounding it. I do hope that people will learn from my book what it's like to be out there in that floating space between land and time. And I guess I hope that people will kind of experience something that they don't normally experience. The metaphor of sailing in life is so palpable. I mean, if you don't enjoy the crossing, Uh you're missing out on a lot of time. You know, yeah. And so, if you're just waiting to get to Tahiti, where you've got the turquoise water and the white sand beaches, I mean that that's wonderful. But if you don't enjoy the time on the water alone with yourself and with your spouse, oh, yeah. You know, that was the best time. Now you'll hear selections from Jana's live reading at Jack Straw Productions. So my name is Jana Course, and a few years ago. My partner and I quit our jobs, bought a 35-foot sailboat, and sailed it across the Pacific on our honeymoon. And um, ever since then, I've been writing about that experience. Uh, As I'm sure you can imagine, uh, I end up writing as much about navigating the relationship part as the actual, you know, seamanship part of the equation. And um, there are some challenges. Uh, living with someone on a small boat in a confined space. And uh, that's a lot of uh, what I enjoy writing about. So I am going to be reading three excerpts tonight. And um, they're all from a travel memoir that I'm writing uh, that is going to be published next year uh, with Touchstone Fireside, uh, summer 2009. And the title of the book is The Motion of the Ocean, One Small Boat, Two Average Lovers, and the world's longest honeymoon. First story I'll be reading uh, happened early on in our trip, and it kind of sets the stage. Um, It's from a chapter called From First Date to First Mate. Somewhere 50 miles off the coast of Oregon, I realized the skipper of this very small ship is an asshole. He also happens to be my husband. He's down below cooking top ramen, which will be the fifth time we've had top ramen in almost as many days. Not that I'm mad about that. Actually, he's chopping carrots and cabbage and onions, and I can smell the garlic from here, so it's bound to be good, which makes him sound like a kind, nurturing, non-assholey sort of guy cooking a meal for his newlywed wife on a boat that's rocking like the funhouse in Greece. But that's not how I see it. I sit in the cockpit, braced behind the wheel, glaring at the stainless steel waves, lifting and lowering our boat 
dragonfly. The sky is pixel blue-gray, and the clangs of my husband's cooking punctuate the whitewash of wind. Running through my mind is Olivia Newton-John's signature phrase, you better shape up, <laughs> minus the chipper doo-doo-doos. I assure you, this guy is not being nice. He's only in the galley to get away f- as far away from me, his perfectly reasonable and charming wife, as possible. Now, it's hard to imagine why a guy on his honeymoon would be yearning for personal space, of all things. The fact that we're cooped up on a boat the size of some people's kitchen is a clue. The big fat fight we just had about sailing is another. Every time the topic of sailing comes up, we argue. It exasperates this skipper to no end that his first and only mate, that would be me, displays neither aptitude nor interest in the technical aspects of sailing. Now this is a problem, as we've only gone um, 319 miles so far, and all told this trip from Seattle to Costa Rica, from the Galapagos to the South Pacific, from Micronesia to Hong Kong, will span over 17,000 miles. So if we can just avoid talking about sailing for the next two years or so, (laughs) we'll be fine. Okay. So maybe I should try to learn a bit more about sailing. The thing is, every time I ask a question, Graham launches into a lecture that is so Physics 101 that it sails, as it were, right over my head. Take his response a few minutes ago to an inquiry about boat speed. Well, it's logical, really, he says. Just think about how an airplane wing works. You, of course, already know how lift is created by blah, blah, blah. Apparent wind, blah bitty blah, square root of waterline multiplied by age you lost your virginity, blah, which determines the maximum hull speed. So it's really quite basic, right? Yeah, right. I feel stupid and confused. He feels frustrated and criticized. And I, well, things generally deteriorate from there. This recent fight ended with this parting shot as he retreated below to cook noodles. If you just stop and think about it, he said. And that's what I do. I stop and I think about the fact that I'm a lousy first mate and my husband is an asshole. This next story took place a few months into our trip in Mazatlan, Mexico, home of cheap beer, mangoes on a stick, and it turns out a lesser known attraction. It comes from a chapter called The Net. We've officially been jobless and drifting, okay, sailing, for four and a half months now. And there's one thing every landlubber wants to know. How can anyone afford to do this? The answer is, of course, it depends on how much money you've got. Just like people living on shore, there are two types of people at sea, the rich and the rest of us. Graham and I, not surprisingly, fall into the rest of us crew. We have a small, old boat, only basic equipment, and we pinch our pennies as carefully 
as Graham used to pinch my butt when doing dishes after dinner at his parents' house. <laughs> the rascal. In other words, we're cheap. Which is why Dragonfly ends up anchored not near Mazatlan's world-famous Gold Coast sunbathing beaches, but at Mazatlan's less famous attraction, the most beautiful sewage treatment plant <laughs> on Earth. Here's how it happens. It's after an overnight crossing from Baja to Mexico's mainland. <clears throat> Graham. Well, we're almost there. Should we head for an anchorage or splurge for a marina? Me. What marina? Graham. You tell me. You're the one looking at the chart. Me. My point exactly. What marina? Graham climbs down from the battered igloo cooler that acts as the captain's chair behind Dragonfly's wheel. <laughs> he hooks his chin over my shoulder and scans the wrinkled, tan and white, coffee ring-stained chart laid out in front of me. Me. Do you see a marina anywhere? Graham is silent for a long time. So I place my finger on a cartoon bubble of a bay south of the city and say, Let's go there. Turns out I've chosen a snug little harbor in biking distance of Mazatlan's vibrant old town. Perfect. And above our harbor rises the highest natural operational lighthouse in the world. Cool. And at the base of that, tucked against the lush green hillside, nestled on shore just upwind of us, resides the most beautiful sewage treatment plant on Earth. Great. Now, you'll notice that we did not choose this fragrant location because we were purposely trying to avoid marina costs. Though, truth be told, we probably would have. The choice that was not a choice was made by our charts, our very old charts, our very old charts that Graham bought used, our very old charts that Graham bought used out of the back of a guy's pickup truck at the Seattle Sailors Swap Meet, which didn't officially begin until daybreak, but where Graham was shopping at 4 a.m. in the dark in order to get the very best deal. <laughs> Apparently, it was hard to tell what kind of deal he was really getting. Shopping by headlamp has its perils. The appealing thing about this anchorage, though, even if it is downwind of sewage, is that it's free. In fact, that's the great thing about cruising in general. There aren't all the costs of home. No car payments, no latte stands, no heating bills, no fashion boutiques, no cable costs, no season's tickets, no cute shoes you must have at sea. And while they say cruisers are in port 80% of the time, as long as you're in a low-cost nation like Mexico and can resist the sale on cast iron patio furniture at Gigante, life can be pretty cheap, even if you aren't. But, of course, we are. Every day we unfold our folding bikes for going taxi cab and bus fare, and we pedal, pedal, pedal toward Mazatlan's old town. The handlebars on our folding bikes are tall and erect, the teensy tires are the size of dinner plates. So the effect is, properly postured circus clown rides trike. <laughs> As we pedal, pedal, pedal through the neighborhoods of Mazatlan, yellow-smocked ladies freeze mid-sweep. Grease-shirted men pull their heads from car hoods. 
and children wielding bean pods lay their brown swords down so they can stop, point, and laugh as we pedal, pedal, pedal past. Even the dogs chase us with grins. <laughs> This podcast was produced by Jack Straw Productions as part of the Jack Straw Writers Program. The 2008 curator of this program is Judith Roche. Music performed by Jim Page and artists and recorded as part of the Jack Straw Artists Support Program. Producer is Jenny Cecil Moore. Recording engineers are Mo Preventure and Tom Stiles. Narrator is Amy Broomhall. And executive director of Jack Straw Productions is Joan Rabinowitz. The Jack Straw Writers Program is made possible with support from the Paul G. Allen Family Foundation, Arts Fund, Poncho, the Mayor's Office of Arts and Cultural Affairs, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, and individual contributors. All the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology, available for purchase and featured online at www.jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening.